0: The final part of Diotima's discourse is essentially the full initiation of Socrates and the readers, and of course his hearers, into one of the mysteries of love, revealing to us what love at its essence is and could be. What makes love the way it is, what it is, how it is, all these sorts of questions. Remember, too, that this is Diotima speaking and Socrates relating her words to the audience that that he's got in front of him in this symposium. So she's already talked about the desire for the good and bringing forth upon the beautiful. Now she's going to narrate an, an ascent through this, what we can call a ladder of loves, of erotic desire, a transformation that takes place at multiple points. And one thing that's not present in this that I do want to signal, oftentimes people will talk about the platonic distinction between body and soul and how anti-body Plato is, anti-flesh. There's nothing of that here in Diotima's speech. It's not that the body is bad, it's just that the body is not the whole show. As a matter of fact, as we move up the ladder, as we become better informed through the knowledge and through the experience that love is affording us, What we're finding is the body just doesn't matter quite so much. It is relativized, you might say. So she's, in effect, initiating Socrates and offering us what we might call the outline of of initiation, the, the schema of it, something that is a verbal representation of it without actually being such an initiation because this is represented as having to take place over quite a bit of time. So, she begins by talking about the beautiful body. We have erotic desire, we have attraction, we have infatuation with a beautiful body and that's okay. We see somebody, we like them, we feel, you know, all the things that go along with love. That shouldn't be the end of the story according to Diotima. What we should do then is actually, you might say, sort of erotic promiscuity. Not necessarily having sex with all the beautiful bodies, but certainly appreciating them. We see one beautiful body that we're attracted to. We enjoy its, its charms, its attractions, the, the things about it that we find beautiful. And then we look at another beautiful body and we say that body is beautiful as well. And then we can move on to yet another and another and another. And it's possible for us to go through an entire succession of, of beautiful bodies in this way. At a certain point, we should start to become aware, if only in an implicit way, that there's something common to all these beautiful bodies. Maybe we realize that we have a type right? Some people like blondes, other people like like people with dark hair, some people are into redheads, and that's, you know, pretty simple stuff right there. Other people like them, you know, people tall, some people like them short, different body types, different ways people move, you know, we could go through the entire range of sensuous qualities that are possible. What Diotima is getting at here is that We're attaining something important by finding something in common with all these beautiful bodies, other than, you know, they can fog a mirror they're alive. We want it to be something that leads us to the sense of there being a form of beauty, an idea of beauty. But that is at the level merely of the physical. At a certain point, we leave the merely physical beyond. And there's a, you might say, quantum leap here that occurs. She says we have to move from however many beautiful bodies we have, and we can always add more bodies into the mix, to start to appreciate the beauty of a soul. Now, of course, this is a lot harder to do, right? This requires more work. It requires two things to happen. One is you have to be cultivated enough that you can turn away from just the body and towards the soul. So if all you're doing is looking at bodies, that's not going to happen for you, right? This is not the sort of thing that, say, Maxim magazine would would prepare you for. What else has to happen? You actually have to find beautiful souls that you can look at. If everybody around you is not necessarily beautiful or perhaps even has has ugly souls, if everybody has nasty personalities, you're not going to be able to find a beautiful soul unless, I suppose, you have your own and you look at your own soul. But she doesn't talk about that. She says, find another who you can see as beautiful. Perhaps this could happen through literature. Perhaps this could happen through film. I don't think that that's quite enough for what she has in mind. She seems to think that we need to encounter, we need to experience beautiful souls... So that we can start moving away from just looking at the body and start appreciating a deeper, a more profound, a more rich sort of beauty. The sort of thing that goes on when we have conversations with a person. When we begin to admire them for the kind of person that they are. When we spend time with them long enough to see the pattern of their habits, their assumptions, their desires, their attitudes. That is what she's calling appreciating the beauty of the soul. Now, for many people, it would stop there, right? We often contrast the person who's superficial and just looks at the body, and then we talk about, you know, the the wonderful personality and finding your one, your life mate, whatever, and now you're fulfilled because you have a beautiful soul, and presumably you have a beautiful soul, and everybody's great together. But that isn't where Diodama stops. It's not romantic love in the sense of, you know, a couple that she's really focused on. That can stay a part of it. Friendship can be a part of it. But we need to move beyond something that's personal, that's tied to merely one person or a set of persons, and look at something wider. She says we need to ascend to the level of beauty of laws and institutions. Arrangements would be another way you could translate the the term that's being translated there as institutions. The sorts of things that affect an entire group, an entire community, entire society. In Deodema's view, and in Plato's view, this is really about a whole city-state, a polis, a political community. I don't see any reason why this couldn't be, you know, admiring the beauty of some other institution, an educational institution, for example, or a religious institution. Say, think about what goes on in a monastery. Of course, you need really good monks in order for that to be the case, because monks quite often can be, just like the rest of us, irritable with each other. But things can be arranged well. So you could talk about, for example, seeing the beauty of the rule of St. Benedict. Or in her case, she'll talk about, she's already talked about the beauty of Lycurgus's Spartan constitution, the laws that he gave them solon in athens the the beauty of what he introduced you know there was a lot of injustice in athens that's why they brought in solon to try to straighten things out by the way things did not go particularly well for him because the rich hated him and the poor hated him and the middle class didn't give him the support that he needed but he gave athens a wonderful at least for a while constitution and why is it that Diotima wants us to move from the beautiful souls to the beauty of institutions or laws because the laws are in a certain respect intrapersonal they cover everybody they also shape this is a typical greek way of looking at things they shape the souls that live under those laws whether they realize it or not so By moving to a higher level of what we might see as abstraction or depersonalization, we're actually moving to something that has greater beauty to offer us, greater value. We're uncovering something that we can have an intellectual experience of awe, wonder, joy, and even erotic desire towards. Not erotic like you're going to have sex with the laws, but rather you have a desire for understanding these things, for appreciating them, for contemplating them. It doesn't stop there either. Now she talks about episteme, you know, the, the plural of episteme, knowledge, or it's, it's translated sometimes as sciences, or we might say disciplines. And these knowledges, she doesn't, you know, clarify exactly what they are. These forms of knowledge would include, for example, the virtues. Justice for Socrates, in many places, is going to involve knowledge, right? Wisdom itself is a kind of knowledge. Courage turns out to be a kind of knowledge for for Socrates. But it will also be the other disciplines as well and why are we moving now from you know we might call the legal realm to a more rarefied realm of we could call them academic departments if if it wasn't for the fact that most academics show very little (laughs) of the the erotic in their practice those who really love the body of knowledge that they have identified themselves with that they connect themselves with as their art as their skill as their discipline They are tying in with something that has a yet greater degree of beauty. And it's knowledge that actually allows the laws and the institutions to have that cosmos, to have that arrangement, that order, that beauty that they're able to bring, and then to give that to the soul. Beyond all of this, there is a thing, or we we shouldn't even call it a thing. We can't call it an experience. We can't call it anything other than what it is, the beautiful itself. Also, the good itself, that which is actually beyond all conditioned, determinate being. This is what Plato refers to in the Republic as the form of the good. And it's possible for us to have a knowledge of the beautiful as such, but we have to work our way up through this entire ladder. We can't jump right from loving bodies or even souls straight into the ocean of the beautiful that is eternally self-same. It is exactly what it is. It is truly what it is. All other things in a certain sense are not quite what they are. Even knowledge, for Plato, even presumably the other forms are not as what they are as the form of the beautiful. It is beyond all the others. There is some metaphorical language. All the language that we have for this sort of thing is is metaphorical. She says, this is a very wonderful passage. Whoever has been initiated so far in the mysteries of love and has viewed all these aspects of the beautiful in due succession is at last drawing near the final revelation. And now Socrates there bursts upon him that wondrous vision which is the very soul of the beauty he has toiled so long for. It is an everlasting loveliness which neither comes nor goes, which neither flowers nor fades, for such beauty is the same on every hand, the same then as now, here as there, this way as that way, the same to every worshiper as it is to every other. Notice we've gone from the more particularized, All the way up to what is there for everything and everybody if they are actually attuned to it. Even laws and institutions, although they apply to many people, they're not universal. Even knowledges don't have the sort of universality that this does. She goes on and she says, Nor will his vision of the beautiful take the form of a face or of hands or anything that is of the flesh. It will be neither words nor knowledge nor is something that exists in something else, such as a living creature, or the earth, or the heavens, or anything that is, but subsisting of itself and by itself in an eternal oneness. Well, every lovely thing partakes of it in such sort, that however much the parts may wax and wane, it will neither be more nor less, but still the same, inviolable whole. She suggests that when we reach this point of grasping this, we will not be content with any other beauty because a sort of relativization will have taken place. This is what is most beautiful. Nothing can compare to it. It is beyond comparison. Even with these, we see this at different points in the ascent. By moving to the beautiful soul, and especially moving to the laws of institutions, we appreciate beautiful bodies, but we appreciate them for what they are, just bodies, even beautiful souls. We appreciate them as limited things, wonderful because they're persons, but still conditioned, even knowledges which for Plato, you know, pretty important, right? That's really far up there. That can't be compared to this. You notice that I, I wrote these five things here. We're talking about an ascent through eros, through love. It requires some sort of guide or perhaps a lucky coincidence for a person to make it up this ladder to the beautiful. But the driving force behind this is always eros. There's an ascent, right? You don't start out here or here, You start out down here, because this is where we are as human beings originally, and we have to make it up one grade at a time. There is a liberation that takes place at each level. Once you have moved away from beautiful bodies to the beautiful soul, beautiful bodies can no longer take you in the same way that they used to. Likewise, beauties of laws and institutions, you realize that the whole matters more than the mere part. A relation of participation we realize that what makes for beautiful souls is the fact of these beautiful laws and institutions which themselves participate in the knowledge which participates in the beautiful itself all of this including beautiful bodies participates in the form of the beautiful that is beyond being itself finally contemplation at each of these stages There is an activity of contemplation that cannot be rushed, that cannot be gamed, that cannot be hacked in any way. One has to do the work to move from beautiful bodies to beautiful souls. It doesn't do any good to just put on the airs and, you know, this isn't one of those fake it till you make it sort of things. If you don't grasp the beauty of a soul, you don't grasp the beauty of a soul, and you can't make it any further. If you can't grasp the beauty of institutions, it's contemplative activity that that is able to make us do that you're just not going to get up you know any further up the ladder which by the way it's not a bad thing if you can't make it all the way up to the top it's just not as good as this in Plato's mind and you're missing out on something beautiful bodies in this account are still good there's still a goodness there it's just it's one that's kind of relative it's one that doesn't compare to all these other great things, but it's the activity of contemplation that's required to move one from each of these stages to the next. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash saddler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.